G'day, this is Mark Pesching, and welcome to the Series 10 final of This Week in Startups Australia. Throughout Series 10, Twista has had a singular focus. We've been identifying and sharing the story of Australia's world-changing startups. The startups that when they go from zero to one really do change the world. And not just the startups, the founders, the investors. Australia is stepping up with some of our brightest sparks working hard to change the world. They come from fields as diverse as agriculture, housing, energy, artificial intelligence, fintech, food, investing, and much more besides. These startups at scale truly will change the world. At the end of Series 10, it's time to review assess, and look forward. That's all coming up on this episode of This Week in Startups Australia. This Week in Startups Australia Series 10 has been sponsored by Our Crowd. Our Crowd finds companies with the greatest growth potential and brings them to you. They believe in their deals and invest in them too. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community at ourcrowd.com Australia. This Week in Startups Australia Series 10 has also been sponsored by User Testing. With user testing, you'll understand it from your customer's perspective. Get real-time feedback real fast. Put yourself in your customer's shoes. Visit usertesting.com slash Twista for a free trial. User testing, real human insight. This week in Startups Australia Series 10 has also been sponsored by Zendesk. Zendesk helps startups build lasting customer experiences from the ground up with the Zendesk for Startups program. Learn more at zendesk.com slash Twista. We've featured 10 world-changing startups across Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. But which of these shine? Which are the true standouts? Which ones are most likely to truly change the world? To help us reflect and assess, Twista is joined by Coralist Activator and Playful Purpose Managing Director, Julie Trell. Julie, welcome back to Twista. Thank you, Mark. Great to be back. Okay, so I gave you some homework. (laughs) You've had a chance, and you've done your homework, I'm sure, that you've had a chance to review these 10 startups that we identified as world-changing. Now, we're actually not going to count Anderil Industries because they're American. So there's really nine. Let's take a look at these nine against the four metrics that we've identified. And of course, the first cab off the rank is really kind of the big one. It's an idea that actually makes the world better. Which of these world-changing startups, in your opinion, which does that best? Well, Mark, it's a big question, world-changing, how people see world-changing. So the lens that I went through is human. How does this affect humans' interaction, connection directly? Now, all of them do affect humans in some way, shape, or form. So that was the lens that I went through that resonated most with me. Um, And the ones that really came up for me was, like family, really hit home for me as far as world changing and connecting and as humans. 
Um, with that, I'm also going to say Pioneera because that's human interaction. And I also know and worked with Danielle and the team. Um, but the little micro, I have to be honest, I'm I'm a little suspect or AI is it's challenging for me. But if I let go, I know I have been gamified by technology. And if there are the little micro behavior changes that can happen at work to help you be less stressed and more productive and more connective, I think that's world changing also. It's that human connection for me. Yeah, and it, it really does come down to the transparency. If you know that you're playing the game and you know why, then it doesn't feel creepy, right? That, that, that's part of it. All right. I am so glad that you mentioned like family because it feels to me you're absolutely right. I got such a lovely feeling after we talked to Matt about where they're going and why they're doing it. Now, I have my own picks here and I went for a different lens on world changing. Some of it's because I've known this company basically since they got started and I know the CEO and I know what he's really trying to do and it's V2 Food, all right? Because Nick Hazel at V2 Food has a vision and V2 Food, it's ag tech, but really it's climate tech because if you talk to Nick about what he's doing, he's trying to decrease the amount of carbon we're putting into the air because we're raising more and more meat to eat, right? It's like, this is a fundamentally a climate play. But the other thing that I loved, it goes to the human side of things also. It wasn't about, he talked about going to a conference and trying to get become have people become more vegan, but it was about there's not enough food to feed the world. And so there's something magical in there and reframing that challenge I had up there also in, in my list of, of top ones as world changing. And the fact that they have grown and been, been successful and have gotten into different countries. So they're, they're on their way. They have a proof point. All right. And like you, I have a runner-up in this category, Slurry Tub, which is both amazing because it's something that we need to decrease the amount of, of construction waste that is showing up pretty much everywhere, not just here, but everywhere in the world. And also because it's something that is clear and easy. Not that it was technically easy because it took a lot of work, right? But it's a clear and easy solution to a problem that is present everywhere. All right. Next cab off the rank, metric two. Now, it's in the realm of scientific and technical achievability. In this, I really do want to look for someone who's aiming for the goalposts, really stretching. If, it doesn't have to be deep tech, and I don't think really any of the companies on that list are truly deep tech, but it should at least be new tech. So using that lens, who's your winner? Oh, see, I don't like winners. I like everyone's a huh. winner, and it's huh. hard to choose. Right. So, um, who, is, no, who's, who is shining for you? So, well, I have to say there was an aha. I've been a binge watching all of Marvel movies. So when I heard about Tide and what they were doing, I thought that was really, oh my God, I get to pay more attention. And the this new the TV show Mirror Mirror and what's happening with that. So data. Is it can be really scary and it can be very powerful. So I found that, and I also like the business model, how there was this, it was open source, if I understand it correctly. So I have there under my realm of tech as um, kind of sexier unknown tech. It's not I'm not an expert in it, um, and I do have some other ones that I that I wrote down there that were really interesting. Um, I did love Aussie Angels. It's simple tech. It's it's the simple solution of organizing opportunities of investors for investors. So I thought that was, that was quite interesting. And, um, the finding junk, the saber piggy, 
I, I found very interesting. And I liked how he was making it accessible to researchers and students to access to do their to their work in there. So there was that technology was very cool for me to learn about as well as how they were setting up. But I think Tide came up there first with my uh, Marvel background. So I have to say, so we're recording this on the 13th of October, which, by the way, is the 19th anniversary of my arrival in Australia. About five days before we recorded this, I got an email from Optus telling me that my driver's license number was among the 9.8 million Australian records that had just been stolen. For that reason, my choice is also tied. Because if Optus had been using a tied or tied-like system with multiple key holders so that no one, even if they got the database, would be able to unlock the data because they wouldn't have all the keys, we would not be in this pickle right now. So, <laughs> so Optus for you, Iron Man for me. <laughs> but, but we both got there. All right. We got there. Metric three, it's economically rational. In other words, which one of these really has, in your mind, the standout business model? So this one was hard because I didn't really know numbers or the, the details, and I'm not a finance person. But what I, I'll, I'll, name, I'll make some comments here, and I'm going to repeat some of the ones that I mentioned, was like family, how it created jobs for people that needed work, and it was very transparent on how the roles were. So it was creating work and helping people where they needed. So I liked that economic model, which was very simple, and making it affordable or accessible for the people that were kind of in the middle of the, you know, not getting the access, the um the, the NDIS sub subsidies or what have you. And um, I, again, I'm going to go back to Aussie Angels. I also am a fangirl of Cheryl and creating this opportunity of getting more people who might not have been investors to become investors to see how, it e how easy it is. So an economical model for there is everyone can win, the investors, the founders, the Aussie Angels platform, and the customers who benefit from the investments made by the investors. So that's a little bit of a roundabout way that's what I was thinking. All right. So my number one for economically rational business model is Pioneera. Because I see this as, although there is a certain amount of face-to-face -face that is really necessary to make it work in an organization, that's kind of the part that's going to have to scale slowly. The idea of having this tool well integrated into your corporate communications for the organization as something that's helping the organization be better at what it does and just, you know, paying a small per seat fee for that, but helping managers be better tuned in, helping employees be better tuned in. So that is a tuning tool. It's a feedback tool for an organization. For me, this feels like a total no-brainer and that it's going to be pervasive in organizations in the next couple of years. Yeah. And additionally, it's, it's helping the employees be more productive, helping the company be more successful, blah, blah, blah. I also, what I also like about their model is they're, they're also highlighting things that are going well. So they're turning up, you know, when things are happening also, I, I can get behind that. And again, I think uh, with you around that, my, my second runner up is Aussie Angels because it's all about helping businesses grow. It really is. It's help about getting that virtuous cycle of investment going, which means it is inherently a good idea. It's inherently economically rational, even if every angel play doesn't win, which is the nature of that beast. The idea is to be out there and investing and learning and helping and building the network. All right. Final one. Manageable execution risk. Which of these really thought, did you think sort of had a handle on that? They all have their risk, which I guess forces more innovation and forces growth and, and, and 
pivoting, if you will. I had written down here, I really liked Future Feed. Um, I, this was with the seaweed, right? Yes. The seaweed and so Asparagopolis. Yeah, it was cleaning up the oceans and feeding the animals and the fact that it was more successful in the animals than in the lab. I understand the risk of trying to get it out to the remote cows, if you will. <laughs> I mean, is that where Anderil can come in to help with that? <laughs> oh, my God. That's um, it. The drones. The drones can drop the feed to the cattle. You're, no, you're absolutely right. They got to get together. So did I fix that execution risk? <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> um this was a, it was an interesting one. I think they all had their hand. I really love, again, I think Cheryl did a phenomenal job explaining her model that she's creating this platform. You're, you're going there on your own risk and you're creating, uh, your investment pool. Your um, that's why am I blanking on the word? Syndicate. <laughs> the syndicate. Thank you. I knew. Sorry. Yeah. So it was, you were, you're managing your own syndicate. Um, so I liked when she knows her stuff and she's still learning and growing and being very transparent. So her transparency to me, I think she's she's targeting that execution risk. Uh, and us North Americans have to stick together. Agreed. <laughs> um, There's another bias. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's interesting you talk about future feed because just in the last week, we saw New Zealand basically pass a law that said the farmers are going to get taxed for cow farts, right? And now Australians, and that's come up, I think, today in the Australian parliament and the nationals are screaming it's going to kill the barbecue or whatever. In fact, what it is, it's, it's going to create the economic incentives to be able to get future feed and things like future feed at a mass scale used by agriculture. And because it's better for the cow, because it makes the cow healthier and happier, it's actually something that should be that virtuous cycle. All right, my winner for manageable execution risk to close this circle is like family. Because when you hear Matt talking about how they're going to grow slowly, but sensitively to each of the regions, because for each of the regions, the nature of how care is questioned, delivered, asked for, every one of these presents its own sets of learnable moments. And that it was very clear that that was what they were working toward. And that if they do that, then what they're going to do is they're going to build themselves into the foundation of how people think about care in each of these cultures. Yeah. I I can get behind. I I wrote something about this. Like family is reminding us, it's getting us back to humanity. It's back to the who we are. We should be caring for one another. This is a platform to make us and help us connect more. So this, I I can get behind that. I do like how he was being very deliberate about how they how they grow. Um, it's healthcare. They're he they're doing healthcare that impacts the sick care system. So that's that's what I really loved about that. Wow, Julie. Thank you so much for joining us and thank you for doing your homework. And I'm sure we will see you on series 11 of this week in Startups Australia. I'd love to be. I'd love to come back, Mark. Thanks for the homework. You're listening to This Week in Startups Australia and we will be right back. As rising interest rates, inflation, and global complexity throw stock markets into turmoil, savvy investors are turning to alternative investments. Our crowd makes it easy for you to diversify your investments into a variety of expertly vetted high-growth private companies across stages, geography, and industries like biotech, cybersecurity, and renewable energy. 
Investments like these used to be reserved for elite institutional investors, but our crowd has helped sophisticated investors from over 90 countries invest in growing tech companies. Every month, our crowd vets hundreds of companies across the globe and brings you a select few identified for their outsized growth potential. Our crowd backs these investments. They commit their own capital and they leverage their relationships with multinational corporations and global investment leaders to help drive their portfolio companies' growth. Discover investment options beyond the stock market. Join the fastest-growing venture capital investment community in the world at ourcrowd.com slash Australia. That's ourcrowd.com slash Australia. Individual results may vary. There's no guarantee that past performance will be indicative of future results. Invest wisely. When it comes to world changing, there's probably no area that's so relevant and so front of mind as the world's changing climate. That makes climate tech, and that's all of the startups either working to control or ameliorate the effects of a warming climate, that makes climate tech possibly the most vital area for investment. So how do investors approach world changing startups of this stripe? How do they judge them beyond their ability to turn a profit? To answer that question, we're speaking with Molly Wood, who recently joined Jason Calacanis' launch fund as a climate solutions-focused investor. Molly, welcome to This Week in Startups Australia. Why, thank you. I'm delighted to be on, be all in the family. So tell us a little bit about your role at launch. So I am, uh, I accepted Jason's pitch when he said, come work at launch. We podcast in the morning and we invest in the afternoon. And... That is effectively my two jobs at launch. I co-host This Week in Startups six days a week. And in the afternoon, I'm the managing director focusing on building our brand new uh, portfolio of climate tech investments. So climate tech, we all know how important that is going to be to our future. And it comes very much, it lands very squarely in this idea of world changing. Now, we identified four metrics for world-changing businesses, right? They, they had to be something that when they went from zero to one, they changed the world. They had to be scientifically and technically achievable. They had to be a rational business, and they had to have manageable business risks, right? So let's focus, I guess, on the first of those, because I'm going to believe that if the numbers don't add up, they aren't going to actually get through. But if you have a bunch of startups that are all sort of in the pool for capital, for investing, how do you grade their world-changing capability? Well, it's been a very interesting conversation as more and more people have gotten into climate investing and climate tech investing, and everybody's got, you know, sort of a different viewpoint. Some are hard tech or frontier tech, some are biotech, some are you know, energy specifically, I really judge success by scale. So at the end of the day, whatever I'm investing in has to get really big or it can't be that impactful. And I think of climate tech investing as, you know, much like the planet, an ecosystem that needs lots and lots and lots of different parts. So, you you know, we I, I think it would be what I'm working on as an investor is not focusing on the charismatic megafauna. Like it's not all going to be lions, tigers, elephants, in which case I mean, you know, fusion, hydrogen, and electric airplanes. It's also going to be bugs and bacteria. And some of that might be software and some of that might be measurement. And so I think for an early stage firm with a focus on 
technology specifically, software primarily. There's a lot of bugs and bacteria investing I can do that will get, there are a quadrillion ants on earth. Yes, that data has we had recently come out exactly how many ants there are for every single person, and it was both amazing and a little creepy, as we both it's creepy. know. It's very creepy. Um, all right, is there any one startup that sort of typifies this for you that you want to talk to? Well, I'm very excited about my first two climate syndicate investments, which are both in some way in the measurement space. So one uh, is called Sail Plan, and they do cargo shipping and commercial shipping emissions, specifically huge. Which emissions, is ve- right? very hard and a huge part of the emissions. Massive and a slow to change industry, very resistant to change. So they have a really simple hardware solution. And then they provide this ongoing metric that, you know, these companies are very incentivized to deliver because so many of them have goals and it saves them money if they are using their fuel more efficiently. So uh, that to me is just one of those like, perfect. It's a perfect solution. It can be massively impactful and it's not reinventing anything. It's just measuring. Were the founders, did the founders come out of shipping? They know that world really well. They wear their heli jackets all the time. They just sort of fit right in to the shipping world. They speak the language. It's really, it's just a nice fit. And so you have that kind of not just product, but team, which is so key to developing something really successful. And then the second investment we've made so far, so far, is also in the measurement space, specifically measuring air pollution, which as we know is a problem that kills 9 million people every year, I think just in the United States. Um, it's It's a terrible side effect of climate change. It's probably one of the most visible effects. And, you know, you can't, again, you can't manage what you don't measure. So they have sensors that are cheaper than the ones that a city would normally use to get real-time, super accurate measurement to just tackle that problem head on. So it's interesting because, you know, as you're saying this, I'm thinking these are both really good ideas. And it's funny because they also both seem, in retrospect, like, oh, why weren't we doing these already, right? Does that mean that, in fact, this space... And it's a world-changing space. Actually seems to have an enormous amount of low-hanging fruit like this. Yes, I really think it does. And that's what's actually so sort of simultaneously frustrating, but very exciting. Because, you know, if you want to solve a problem, you just start to break it down to its component parts. Every problem has component parts. And some of those parts are, oh, well, we don't know how much of X is happening. And the way that we've always measured it is either not at all with a couple clipboards with a few dudes driving around in a tractor, you know, (laughs) and so we can digitize that and it's easy. And this is what's great about climate investing in that sense is that it fits right in with the investing approach that you take to anything, which is like, if you've got an industry that makes a ton of money and it's mostly happening with fax, fax machines or clipboards, disrupt it. And there are you know, thousands of industries, hundreds of thousands of fax machines and clipboards. Like there is a ton of low hanging fruit before you even have to get to the lions and tigers and elephants. <laughs> and I guess one of the things about climate tech is that it touches, very naturally touches so many other areas. You know, one of the world changing startups we looked at this year is a big one out of Australia called V2 Food, which is making its own vegan mints and uh, vegan chicken schnitzels and has gone global. It is the biggest investment to come out of main sequence ventures, which is uh, one of the big 
deep tech investing funds here. And you can see that when I, because I've spent a lot of time talking to the CEO, that he sees this, what he's doing as more of a climate tech business <laughs> than agri-tech or food tech. And so how do you, when you start to evaluate a business, how do you evaluate the touch points? Yeah. Every, when I was a journalist, before I became an investor, just, you know, 10 short months ago or so, I started saying that every story was a climate story. I actually think almost every business is now a climate business or has a climate component in some way. If you're, you know, I mean, the most obvious example is if you're doing delivery, you are in the climate business. If you create a product that you sell, what is your plan for the end of life of that product? Can you incorporate more sustainable packaging? Can you uh, create a circularity play so that you resell that product over and over and then you increase the lifetime value of your customer, which I love to hear. And so when I evaluate this sort of climate impact, it's really just a matter of whether the company wants to think of itself as a climate company. I did interview like a used shoe reseller, a marketplace for used sneakers, you know, for sneakerheads, super popular concept. A lot of that is happening. And he didn't totally want to say that he was a climate company, that he was in the circularity space, <laughs> because it's sort of a different approach. But at some point, I guarantee you, there will be an Instagram ad to that effect, because that's what consumers want. Right, going out to that targeted demographic of Gen Zs who want to have a circular product. All right, final question. As you build your stable of investments and as they start to go from zero to one, how does that change your approach to investing? Oh, that's such a great question. I'm still in the um, the honeymoon phase. I call the, uh, so I, <laughs> this is terrible, but I tend to refer to uh, early stage investing as like, the baby turtles. We send all our baby turtles out to the sea. And so far, all of my baby turtles are doing fine and none have been picked off yet. I suppose it's going to make me a little more ruthless in the long term. I suppose I will start to get a sense of business models that will work and business models that won't. What I'm hoping is that I will also get a sense of impact. And I'm not I don't have a hard and fast rule for measuring this. You know, like I'm going to keep my own internal tally of gigatons, what I hope will be gigatons, um, but I'm going to have other markers too. And so I guess I'm just going to have to learn on the job what works and what does, what is what is investable, what can create these returns. Because right now it's so early. Climate tech is still pretty early. And so a lot of us are trying to figure out not just what will work from a climate perspective, what will have a massive impact, but also what is investable. And so we may see some divergence. We may see that gigaton scale solutions are not investable or that they're the only thing that is. But the market is going to be changing at the exact same time. We're going to be discovering new t technologies and new solutions at the same time that we're investing in them. So I, I imagine that every quarter is going to have a different plan for me. Molly, this has been a complete joy. Thank you for joining us in This Week in Startups Australia. It's my absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Experience what your customer experiences with user testing. Whether you're launching a new product, prototype, or marketing campaign, you'll get video feedback straight from the people you want to reach most. The user testing human insight platform lets you understand it all from their perspective. And it allows you to target your exact audience, ask any question or request to perform tasks, and most valuably, get a window into their world. Unlike focus groups, which can take weeks or even months to deliver results, with user testing, you get to see real reactions and hear real opinions really fast in real time at the speed business demands. Very quickly, you get insights into what's working and what's not. So you can adjust your message, refine your UI, and understand exactly how your people are responding to and interacting with your product, service, or brand. The result, you feel what your customer feels. So you can build the best experience imaginable. For a free trial, visit usertesting.com slash twista. User testing, real human insight. So here we are on the last segment of the last episode of Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. And what have we learned? Well, let's take a look at one of my personal metrics, which is the number of women who have been on Series 10. I haven't done an exact count, but it feels like we're still at around a third, which is great. Could be better. We will try to do better in Series 11, try to beat that number. There are a couple of times, in fact, when I booked people in who were women leading firms but were so busy that they couldn't, and so there was a man speaking. And it's like, all right, that isn't quite what I wanted, but if you're all happy with this, we'll go with that. Now, in that line, there are two startups that I really wanted to get as fundamentally important world-changing startups in Series 10. Samsara, which is doing the plastic recycling using a bioengineered enzyme to make plastic basically a circular economy. Very important for the world. A world-changing idea. This was name-checked by Phil Morrill and by Mike Nichols because it is a main-sequence investment. So that was one of them. The other one was Passero, which is Carthona Capital, Dean Durrell's company. And they help track businesses' carbon emissions and also across their supply chains. Very important for businesses to be able to understand how to ameliorate their carbon outputs. Both of these companies really wanted to get them on. Both of these companies are now growing so fast that it is really almost impossible to get a founder to stop in one place long enough to have the conversation with them. You'll fire emails off, they'll reply, yes, let's do this, and then, well, they busy up again. And, you know, that's that's what's supposed to be happening. They're supposed to be out there running their businesses. They're not going to be talking to some podcaster about their business as much as I would like to be able to bring their stories to a wider audience. So, scheduling didn't happen. But... <laughs> That doesn't mean that I'm done. Very far from it because it is well time for another bite of the apple. Those two startups, and there are actually several others like them, they're busy because they're doing the hard bits. The projects that are so difficult, they have a very high possibility of failure, but they're so rewarding that they justify taking that risk. And that theme, the hard bits, that is the theme for Series 11 of This Week in Startups Australia, launching in 2023. The hard bits. We'll break this down because it's not just that you have a hard problem to solve. It's how you solve that hard problem. And once you have that solution, how you bring that solution to market. Because the hard bits, they aren't just at the beginning. The hard bits are all the way through. We'll be right back. 
Fastest growing companies have great products and great customer service. You build the great product and Zendesk will help you build great customer experiences that make your customers come back, just like Jason Calacanis. Jason has a very public obsession with amazing customer service, and he relies on Zendesk for his launch syndicate. Jason's limited partners use Zendesk to reach out to him about each of his deals. Zendesk also handles inbound inquiries from startups looking for investors. Zendesk helps Jason provide the kind of customer service he demands. Apply for the Zendesk for Startups program to get their industry-leading customer service software free for six months. You'll also get access to Zendesk's community of startup founders and partners, plus dedicated onboarding guidance and support. Zendesk has everything you need to deliver the amazing customer experiences that will make your product a success. To learn more about Zendesk for Startups, visit Zendesk.com Twista. Big thanks to Twista's Series 10 sponsors, Our Crowd, User Testing, and Zendesk. Thanks to Julie Trell and Molly Wood for coming on to our show. This show is written and produced by Mark Pesce and all along has been beautifully mixed by Luke Station. Come visit our website at thisweekinstarps.au. It's got everything. It's got all the shows, all the interviews, all the stories, all the photos, all the links. Check it out at thisweekinstarps.au. That brings us to the close of Series 10 of This Week in Startups Australia. We'll be back next year with new stories, new startups, and all the news startups need to survive, thrive, and succeed. Until then, this is Mark Pesci thanking you for listening.